Greetings and salutations. I am Ken Barrios, your success coach. I hope you unleash your talents and maximize your impact without compromising your time. It is my pleasure to read the 16 Laws of Success by Napoleon Hill, written in 1928 and now public domain. My hope is that you will take from these small segments of reading the insight and wisdom of a philosophy that has over a hundred years of practical experimentation. With that said, let us begin. Why, then, had the others who asked for his release failed to secure it? They failed because they used no imagination. Perhaps they asked the governor for B's release on the ground that his parents were prominent people, or on the ground that he was a college graduate, and not a bad sort of fellow. They failed to supply the governor of Ohio with a sufficient motive to justify him in granting a pardon. For had this not been so, he would have undoubtedly have released B long before I came up on the scene and asked for his release. Before I went to see the governor, I went over all the facts, and in my own imagination, I saw myself in the governor's place and made up my mind what sort of presentation would appeal most strongly to me if I were in reality in his place. When I asked for B's release, I did so in the name of 160,000 unfortunate men and women inmates of the prisons of the United States who would enjoy the benefits of the correspondence school system he had created. I said nothing about his prominent parents. I said nothing about my friendship with him during former years. I said nothing about his being a deserving fellow. All these matters might have been used as a sound reason for his release, but they seemed insignificant when compared with the bigger and sounder reason that his release would be the help of two 160,000 other people who would feel the influence of his correspondence school system after his release. When the governor of Ohio came to a decision, I doubt, no, not that B was of secondary importance as far as his decision was concerned. The governor, no doubt, saw a possible benefit, not to be alone, but to 160,000 other men and women who needed the influence that B could supply, if released. And that was imagination. It was also salesmanship. And speaking of the incident after it was over, one of the men who had worked diligently for more than a year in trying to secure B's freedom asked, How did you do it? And I replied, It was the easiest task I had ever performed, because most of the work had been done before I took hold of it. In fact, I didn't do it. B did it himself. This man looked at me in bewilderment. He did not see that which I, I am here trying to make clear. Namely, that practically all difficult tasks are easily performed if one approaches them from the right angle. There are two important factors entering B's release. The first was the fact that he had supplied the material for a good case before I took it in charge. And the second was the fact that before I called on the governor of Ohio, I was to completely convince myself that I had the right to ask for B's release that I had no difficulty in presenting my case effectively. Go back to what was stated in the beginning of this lesson on the subject of telepathy and apply it to this case. The governor could tell long before I had stated my mission that I knew I had a good case. If my brain did not telegraph this thought to his brain, then the look of self-confidence in my eyes and the positive tone of my voice made obvious to my belief in the merits of my case. Again, I apologize for these personal references with the explanation that I have used them only because the whole of America was familiar with B's case that I had described. I disclaim all credit for the small part I played in the case, 
for I did nothing except use my imagination as an assembly room in which to piece together the factors out of which the sale was made. I did nothing except that which any salesman of imagination could have done. It requires considerable courage to prompt one to use the personal pronoun as freely as it has been used in relating the facts connected with this case. But justification lies in the value of the application of the principle of imagination to a case with which nearly everybody is familiar. I cannot recall an incident in my entire life in the connection with which the soundness of the 15 factors that entered into this reading course was more clearly manifested than in securing the release of Mr. B. It is but another link in a long chain of evidence that proves to my entire satisfaction that the power of imagination as a factor in salesmanship. There are endless millions of approaches to every problem, but there is only one best approach. Find this one best approach and your problems easily solved. No matter how much merit your goods may have, there are millions of wrong ways in which to offer them. Your imagination will assist you in finding the right way. In your search for the right way, in which to offer your merchandise or your services, remember this particular trait of mankind. Men will grant favors that you request for the benefit of a third person when they would not grant them if requested for your benefit. Compare this statement with the fact that I asked the governor of Ohio to release B, not as a favor to me, but not and not as a favor to B, but for the benefit of 160,000 unfortunate inmates of the prisons of America. Salesmen of imagination always offer their wares in such terminology that the advantages of those wares to the respect to purchases are obvious. It is seldom that any man makes a purchase of merchandise or renders another a favor just to accommodate the salesman. It is a prominent trait of human nature that prompts us all to do that which advances our own interests. This is a cold and disputable fact, claims of idealistic to the contrary notwithstanding. To be perfectly plain, men are selfish. To understand the truth is to understand how to present your case, whether you're asking for the release of a man from prison or offering for sale some commodity. In your own imagination, so plan your presentation of your case that the strongest and most impelling advantages to the buyer are made plain. This is imagination. A farmer moved to the city, taking with him his well-trained shepherd dog. He soon found that the dog was out of place in the city, so he decided to get rid of him. Taking the dog with him, he went out into the country and rapped on the door of a farmhouse. A man came hobbling to the door on crutches. The man with the dog greeted the man in the house in these words, You wouldn't care to buy a fine shepherd dog that I wish to get rid of, would you? The man on crutches replied, No, and closed the door. The man with the dog called a half a dozen other farmhouses asking the same question and received the same answer. He made up his mind that no one wanted the dog and returned to the city. That evening, he was telling of his misfortune to a man of imagination. The man heard how the owner of the dog had tried in vain to get rid of him. Let me dispose of the dog for you, said the man of imagination. The owner was willing. The next morning, the man of imagination took the dog out into the country and stopped at the first farmhouse of which the owner of the dog had called on the day before. The same old man hobbled out on crutches and answered the knocking door. The man of imagina imagination greeted him in this fashion. I see you are all crippled with rheumatism. What you need is a fine dog to run errands for you. I have a dog here that has been trained to bring home the cows, drive away wild animals, herd the sheep, and perform other useful services. 
You may have this dog for $100. All right, said the crippled man. I'll take him. That, too, was imagination. No one wants a dog that someone else wants to get rid of, but most anyone would like to own a dog that would herd sheep and bring home the cows and perform other useful services. The dog was the same one that the crippled buyer had refused the day before, but the man who sold the dog was not the man who had tried to get rid of him. If you use your imagination, you will know that no one wants to get wants anything that someone else is trying to get rid of. Remember that which was said about the law of attraction, through the operation of which like attracts like. If you look at the act, the part of the failure, you will attract nothing but failures. Whatever your life work may be, it calls for the use of imagination. Niagara Falls was nothing but a great mass of roaring water until a man of imagination harnessed it and convinced that the wasted energy into electric current and now turns the wheels of industry. Before this man of imagination came along, millions of people had seen and heard those roaring falls, but lacked the imagination to harness them. The first Rotary Club of the world was born in the fertile imagination of Paul Harris of Chicago, who saw in this child of his brain an effective means of cultivating prospective clients and the extension of his law practice. The ethics of the legal profession forbid advertising in the usual way, but Paul Harris' imagination found a way to extend his law practice without advertising in the usual way. And the winds of fortune are temporarily blowing against you. Remember that you can harness them and make them carry you toward your definite purpose through the use of the imagination. A kite rises against the wind, not with it. Break, break. I would like to have a quick word from our sponsor. Thank you for your time. Let's get back to the reading. Dr. Frank Crane was a struggling, quote, third-rate preacher until the starvation wages of the clergy forced him to use his imagination. Now he earns upward of hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for an hour's work of day writing essays. Bud Fisher once worked for a mere pittance, but he now earns $75,000 a year by making folks grin with his Mutt and Jeff comic strip. No art goes into his drawings. Therefore, he must be selling his imagination. Woolworth was a poorly paid clerk in a retail store. Poorly paid, perhaps because he had not yet found out that he had imagination. Before he died, he built the tallest office building in the world and girdled the United States with five and ten cent stores through the use of his imagination. <clears throat> you will observe by analyzing these illustrations that a close study of the human nature played an important part in the achievements mentioned. To make profits use of your imagination, you must make it give you a keen insight into the motives that cause men to do or refrain from doing a given act. If your imagination leads you to understand how quickly people grant your request, when you request appeal to their self-interest, you can have practically anything you go after. I saw my wife make a very clever sale to our baby not long ago. The baby was pounding on top of our mahogany library table with a spoon. When my wife reached for the spoon, the baby refused to give it up. But being a woman of imagination, she offered the baby a nice stick of red candy. He dropped the spoon immediately and centered his attention on the more desirable object. That was imagination. It was also salesmanship. 
She won her point without using force. It, I was riding in an automobile with a friend who was driving beyond the speed limit. An officer rode up on a motorcycle and told my friend that he was under arrest for speeding. The friend smiled pleasantly at the officer and said, I'm sorry to have brought you out all this in all this rain, but I wanted to make the 10 o'clock train with my friend here, and I was hitting it up around 35 out, miles an hour. No, you are going 28 miles an hour, replied the officer, and as long as you are so nice about it, I will let you off this time. But if you will watch yourself hereafter. And that, too, was imagination. Even a traffic cop will listen to reason when approached in the right manner. But woe unto the motorist who tries to bully the cop or believing his, his speedometer was not registering properly. There is one form of imagination against which I, could, I would caution you. It is the brand which prompts some people to imagine that they can get something for nothing. Or that they can force themselves ahead in the world without observing the rights of others. There are more than 160,000 prisoners in the penal institution of the United States. Practically every one of them is in prison because he imagined he could play the game of life without observing the rights of his fellow men. There is a man in Ohio penitentiary who was served more than 35 years of time for forgery and the largest amount he had ever got from his misapplication of, of imagination was $12. There are a few people who direct their imaginations in the, in the vain attempt to work out a way to show what happens when a, quote, immovable body comes in contact with an irresistible force, quote. But these types belongs to the psychopathic hospitals. There is also another form of misapplied imagination, namely that the young boy or girl who knows more about life than his dad, his or her dad, but... This form is subject to modification with time. My own boys have taught me many things that, quote, dad tried in vain to teach me when I was their age. Time and imagination, which is often but the product of time, teach us many things, but nothing of more importance than this, that all men are much alike in many ways. If you would know that your customer is thinking, Mr. Salesman, study yourself and find out what you would be thinking if you were in the customer's place, study yourself, find out what are the motives which actuate you in the performance of certain deeds and cause you to re refrain from performing other deeds, and you will have gone far toward perfecting yourself in the accurate use of imagination. The detective's biggest asset is imagination. The first question he asks when called to solve a crime is, what was the motive? If you can find out what the motive, he can usually find the perpetrator of the crime. A man who has lost a horse posted a reward of five dollars for his return. Several days later, a boy who was supposed to have been, quote, weak-minded, came leading the horse home and claimed the reward. The owner was curious to know how the boy found the horse. How did you ever think where to look for a horse, he asked. The boy replied, well, I just thought, where would I have gone if I had been a horse and went there? And he had. Not so bad for a weak-minded fellow. Some who are not accused of being weak-minded go all the way through life without displaying as much evidence of imagination as did this boy. If you want to know what the other fellow will do, use your imagination. Put yourself in his place and find out what you would have done. That's imagination. Every person should be somewhat of a dreamer. Every business needs the dreamer. Every industry and every profession needs him. But the dreamer must be also a doer, or else he must form alliance with someone who can who can and does translate dreams into reality. 
The greatest nation upon the face of this earth was conceived, born, and nurtured through early days of its childhood as the result of imagination in the minds of men who combine dreams with action. Your mind is capable of creating many new and useful combinations of old ideas, but the most important thing it can create is a definite chief aim that will give you that which you most desire. Your definite chief aim can be speedily translated into reality after you have fashioned in the cradle of your imagination. If you have faithfully followed the instructions set down for your guidance and the lessons too, you are now well on the road towards success because you know what it is what you want and you have a plan for getting that what you want. When the battle for achievement of success is half won, when one knows definitely what is wanted, the battle is all over except the shouting. When one knows what is wanted and has made up his mind to get it, whatever the price may be, the selection of a definite chief aim calls for the use of both imagination and decision. The power of decision grows with use. Prompt decision is forcing the imagination to create a definite chief aim, renders more powerful the capacity to reach decisions and other matters. Advertisies and temporary defeat, adversities and temporary defeat are generally blessings in disguise for the reason that they force one to use both imagination and decision. This is why a man usually makes a better fight when he is back to the against the wall and he knows where there is no retreat. He then reaches the decision to fight instead of running. The imagination is never quite so active as it is when one faces some emergency calling for a quick and definite decision and action. In these moments of the emergency, men have reached decisions, built plans, used their imagination in such a manner that they become known as geniuses. Many are geniuses, but has been born out of the necessity for unusual stimulation of the imagination as a result of some trying experience with which to force quick thought and prompt decision. It is a well-known fact that the only manner in which an over-pampered boy or girl may be made to become useful is by forcing him or her to become a self-sustaining. This calls for the exercise of both imagination and decision, neither of which would be used except out of necessity. The Reverend P.W. Welshimmer is the pastor of a church in Canton, Ohio, where he had been located for nearly a quarter of a century. Ordinary pastors do not remain at the head of one church for so great a length of time, and Reverend Welshmer would have been no exception to this rule if he had not mixed imagination with his pastoral duties. Three years constitute the usual time that one pastor may remain in a given pastor without wearing out his welcome. The church of which Reverend Welshmer is the leader has a Sunday school of over 5,000 members and the largest membership enjoyed by any church in the United States. No pastor could have remained at the head of one church for a quarter of a century with the full consent of his followers and have built up a Sunday school of this size without employing the laws of initiative and leadership, a definite chief aim, self-confidence, and imagination. The author of this course made it his business to study the methods employed by Reverend Wilshmer, and they are here described for the benefit of the students of this philosophy. Thank you for your time today. I hope you learned as much as I did in this reading. If you ever desire to connect with me, you can email me at kb at keybravo.com. That is kb at keybravo.com. Have a wonderful day and may you be blessed with all the success you endeavor.